Well, ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to this uh, lecture in the European Institute's Perspectives on Europe public lecture series. And uh, we think today we're really living up to the series' reputation for tackling the, the, crunchiest, the crunchiest policy issues in the, in the European Union with really the best place speakers uh, to do so who are not just thinking it, having to think about the issue, but also, as in this case, manage as best they can this very crunchy issue. So I'm delighted today to be um, welcoming to the LSE Angelino Alfano, who has served in the Italian government as uh, Minister of the Interior since April 2013. He's been, of course, Deputy Prime Minister as well. In 2013 and 2014, he's been Minister of Justice. Um, he, he has been the Secretary of the, the Centre-Right Party, the Popolo della Libertà, uh, from 2011 to 2013. And in November 2013, he became leader of the new Centre-Right Party in the Nuova Centrodestra. And... Um, so a range of portfolios, a, a range of heavy responsibilities in the Italian government. And we're delighted you've come today to the LSE to share some of your thoughts with us, Minister, on the most vexed question of the time, namely the migration challenge from the Mediterranean across the Mediterranean and the challenge that imposes, amongst other things, um, to the European Union's idea of solidarity. So without further ado, um, Minister... The floor is yours. You've kindly agreed to take some questions from the audience afterwards, which is great. But we'd like to hear first of all what you have to say in the first instance. So, Mr. Alfano. Thank you so much. Dear Professor Fraser, dear students, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to take the floor before such a prestigious audience. Over the years, the London School of Economics has enriched the public debate on freedom and better governance. In these turbulent times, we need to pay closer attention to those voices in our society who come up with inspiring ideas. That is why I am here today, to share my views, but also to have a frank and creative discussion with you. No one can choose the time in which one is born. My generation, those born in the 70s, were lucky so far as we did not experience the main conflict of the 20th century. For those of us who grew up in Western Europe, peace and prosperity came to be expected as a natural outcome. We learned from history books that security could come from fortresses lined with walls. Generals were a kind of engineers. They had to build drawbridges and trenches. Conflict involved a mobilization of the military and official declarations of war exchanged by foreign ambassador. We grew to believe that uh, 
conventional war were the only kind of war. This proved to be an illusion. Since 9-11, old certainties no longer old. Since 9-11, we have witnessed attempts by terrorist groups to undermine the authority of governments, first by attacking them, and then by usurping their authority. On 9-11, my wife and I were expecting our first child. And when our first son was born, I wondered in what kind of world he would grow up. Fourteen years later, he lives in a world less secure than the one he was born in. The rise of Asyl, a, revo a revolutionary terrorist group calling itself a state, is a further appalling development. A criminal organization with more resources, men and ambitions than any other terrorist group ever before. The world has changed. The Middle East has exploded. Muslims are often the first victims of terrorists and fanatics. And European citizens can no longer afford to disregard what happens to faraway people. The Syrians and the Iraqis massacred by ISIL, ISIL. The Nigerians enslaved by Boko Haram. The Christian minorities displaced in the Middle East and in Africa. The Yazidi prisoners who find suicide preferable to being treated as meat for the grinder. These horrible violations of human rights have direct effect on our own security. The security situation of Europe has worsened, as, uh, as sadly indicated by the high level of alert in all of our countries. The sequence of terror attacks has spared no symbol of Europe. From a Madrid railway station to the London tube, from the Jewish Museum in Brussels to the Paris office of Charlie Hebdo, these key places of our common life and community identity have been scarred by atrocities. Europeans have also fallen victim to vile attacks while abroad, as happened to the Italian and British tourists killed in Tunis at the Bardo Museum and on the beaches of Sousse. We cannot build walls to defend ourselves against these atrocities. We have to prevent the, these crimes in more sophisticated ways. And we have to do it without fear. We have to do it without fear. Fighting against fear is fighting for freedom. It is important not to be afraid because those who are afraid cannot be free. And fighting against fear is fighting for freedom.
It is helpful to protest against terror, filling the squares in Rome, Paris, or London. Those slogans, like Je suis Charlie, shouted by the crowds, are spontaneous, are a spontaneous and immediate response to horrific acts of terror. But it is not enough. Today, to be Charlie requires the courage to defend our values, even when the price is life. They may pray to the same God, but an abyss separates those who join their hands in prayer and those who hold a gun. For these fanatics, religion is only a pretext. God, God, is held hostage by them. God is held hostage by them. They believe they can enter into contact with the divinity through their evil actions. And let me add that these men and women are the expression of a recurrent and evil fanaticism. The same fanaticism that was defeated in Europe thanks to the courageous fighting of the British people in uh, the Second World War. Nowadays, another war is being fought, but all wars must come to an end. Last spring, when I attended the summit on countering violent extremism in Washington, I argue that this kind of war can only be won by re-establishing the attraction and the beauty of freedom. Freedom is like air. You don't realize it when you have it, while you cannot live without it. But it should not be taken for granted. My generation has received it as a gift from our parents and grandparents who have died for it. Now it's our turn to make the building of a free society once more an intellectual adventure, a deed of courage. As Frederick Hayek once said, Frederick Hayek, you who used to teach in this school, courage and intellectual engagement are required to help those Mediterranean countries whose freedom, freedom and threatened by terrorists and undermined by, by fragile or failed institutions. We can't stand idly by. No member state in Europe can consider itself to be a mere spectator to the tragedies played out on the Mediterranean stage. At the same time, there is no country in Europe that is able on its own to address all these serious, serious crises. Yes, I firmly believe that the whole of Europe should and could make a decisive contribution to the resolution of this crisis. But I, but I also recognize that only few countries have the capacity and the resources to lead. 
Italy and UK belong to this group of countries with more responsibility in Europe. The Mediterranean is crucial to all of us. It is the region where the world's destiny is now decided, now. We cannot shy away from it. But let's be honest. If we, we want to be successful, we need a U-turn, a step change from what, so far, Europe has done or has refused to do. Because until now, the track record of Europe in the Mediterranean is married with failure. The refugee crisis is the most vivid example of the failure, the most vivid example of, the, of this failure. Many countries far, for, far from the Mediterranean shores believed they could be safe, ignoring what was going on just a few miles away from the South European borders. But I wonder whether it was not predictable that the conflict in Syria, with over 200,000 casualties, would generate a surge in refugees. And whether it was not predictable, too, that the collapse of the Libyan state would leave room for criminal organizations to profit from people smuggling. The sad truth is that the majority of European citizens only noticed what was going on in our Mediterranean neighborhood when the tragedy came closer, closer to them. Only when hundreds of men, women, and children drowned off Lampedusa Island, when 70 people died asphyxiated in a truck in Austria, when the picture of a dead child lying on a Turkish shore was published on the front page, then, and only then, many Europeans realized that there might be a problem. And yet, for many years, I personally had drawn the attention of many European colleagues to the need to take together the emergency and the root causes of migration. Yes, there were some words of solidarity, but most of the time Italy was left alone, copying with the influx of hundreds of thousands of desperate people. The farther the European countries were from the Mediterranean, the more they asked for the implementation of the Dublin Regulation, an obsolete system of rules that require the first country of entry to deal by itself with asylum applications. Sheer numbers have demonstrated that the Dublin Regulation can no longer be enforced and that we have to envisage new European rules. Almost 500,000 people have made their way to Europe since the start of the year. Most of them are asylum, are asylum seekers to whom Italy and Greece offered first aid. Is it, is it realistic 
to expect just one or two countries to sort this out. A first step in the right direction was last month's decision by the European Council on the relocation of 120,000 asylum seekers, in addition to the 40,000 people on which an agreement had already, already been reached. The relevance of this European agreement is that, for the first time, a fundamental direct link between hotspot, relocation, and returns was affirmed, thanks to the stance of the Italian government. Europe has come to endorse an idea always supported by Italy. Solidarity and responsibility need to be applied together since they only work when they go hand in hand. The first plane relocating Eritrean asylum seekers to Sweden took off from Italy just a few days ago. That plane flew the real flag of Europe. The plane flew from south to north showing to the world that our basic values can still shape common actions. However, these European measures are only a partial solution. We need, we need a wider political strategy. Of course, I am the first to say that we have to treat asylum seekers and economic migrants differently. But to return illegal migrants is no straightforward business. No straightforward business. The cooperation of their home countries is essential. But these countries are not always ready to engage. And the procedures are usually long and complex. Just think about the number of readmission, the readmission agreements that must be signed and enforced. It would be unrealistic to ask just a few EU countries to negotiate and enforce them bilaterally, thus acting as de facto border centuries for the entire Europe. On the contrary, much more than any single member state, Europe as a whole can leverage its political influence and international aid to encourage countries of origin of illegal migrants to accept their return and to tackle together the root causes of migration. Europe is rich. Yes, Europe is rich. It should give more to those countries that destitute people flee from in search for a better life. At the same time, Europe should expect those same countries to do more to prevent the mass immigration of their own citizens. Migration is a global challenge. And we cannot respond to it with uncoordinated national solutions. That is why Italy has great expectations 
for EU-Africa Summit on Migration scheduled in Valletta next month. This summit must be more than a talking shop and deliver concrete, creative solutions for working more intensively with Africa. We can't miss another fundamental opportunity. Today, I came to London also to discuss these expectations with the Home Secretary, Theresa May. Dear students, Edmund Burke once said, your representative owes you not industry, not his industry only, but his judgment, and he betrays instead of serving you if he sacrifices it to your opinion. In this crucial period of our history, these words should resonate in the conscience of every policymaker who deals with the migration challenges. However, so far across Europe, the political debate on migration has been full of posturing and bickering. Even more, some politicians have exploited the refugee crisis to feed their voters biased sound bites to capitalize upon their fears. However, the way we are going to deal with this crisis will influence not just the next election, but also how future generations will judge us. I must admit that I have rarely been prouder of my country than when the Italian government decided to launch the Mare Nostrum Sea Rescue Mission, also thanks to my own vote. The mission, which was later replaced by the Triton EU operation, has helped save thousands of lives. Yet, the ambition effort, this ambition effort, was not enough to rescue everyone. And I deeply regret that almost 3,000 people died while attempting to cross the Mediterranean. Italy and UK have been promoting international action to crack down on the new slave traders. They make huge profits from smuggling desperate people in anti-awarty vessels across the Mediterranean. These criminal gangs must be stopped. But to those who claim that saving human lives is a pull factor, I reply that it is a basic human duty not to let people drown. For persecuted people, survival is the one factor that pushed them towards the shores of Europe, is the one factor. I am convinced that offering them a helping hand puts Italy on the right side of history. At the same time, I am well aware that uh, welcoming hundreds of thousands of refugees 
is a huge political and social challenge for our government, even though asylum seekers represent only a tiny percentage for the European population. Uh, I am not oblivious to the fact that uh, the higher the number of refugees that arrive in Europe, the greater will be the appeal of populist parties. And I realize that if Europe is not able to return thousands of illegal migrants, then Europeans could not understand the difference of status and the rights between those who flee wars and persecutions and those who come just to find a new job. In that case, there will be a risk of surge of xenophobia. And let us never forget what happened to our continent when nationalism and racism prevailed. If we fail, if trust and cooperation among European partners collapse under the pressure of the migration crisis, populist parties will spread the seed of hatred and social discord across our continent. We need to protect our values and the fabric of our open society. And we can better do it by addressing the underlying causes of people fleeing their countries. It is a difficult task, an extraordinary challenge for Italy, the, U the UK, and Europe, and for Europe. We have to save human life, crack down on criminal smugglers, fight terrorists, and tackle, and tackle the awful plant of ISIL. Sometimes I wonder whether we can do it. The enemy is strong. But then I think of the strength of democracy and freedom, our fundamental values. They have proved to be stronger than any criminal or terrorist plot as they have prevailed over other dangerous enemies. But I am also convinced that as history has taught us, we can only win if we work together and stay united. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Well, Mr. Alfano, thank you for uh, a really stirring presentation. Um, in fact, it was almost a sort of best described perhaps as, as a rousing call to arms, a call to, a call to action, and uh, magnificently punctually delivered. So I think you've got us off to a terrific start for what I think will be a very interesting discussion now. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and uh, we have about half an hour for questions, or as many as you'd like to take. Would you like to take them in groups, or just one by one? As you prefer. Okay. Right. Well, I'll probably start taking, um, as I'm going to try to cluster questions, uh, which can be an efficient way to manage things, but I would ask you in return, uh, please keep your question very, very short and sweet. No speeches, please. Um, 
And uh, if you could uh, say who you are, wait for the roving microphone to come round, say who you are and what your affiliation is, uh, that would be very helpful indeed. I should have just said at the beginning that the, the hashtag is, uh, is LSE Italy for this, for this event. Now, um, okay, who would like to put a question to the minister to start? Uh, the gentleman there uh, in, raising his hand, the lady in this colourful scarf has also caught my attention. And, um, um, and then we'll, we'll scooch through as many as we can. We've got some time, so hopefully we'll call most people. Um, uh, so I meant the gentleman there, but anyway, never mind. It's a genuine misunderstanding. Would you like to put your question? Then I shall ask the lady in the colourful scarf next to you and the gentleman here in the suit. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Please. Uh, thank you um, very much. Um, my name's Ewan Grant. I'm a former uh, UK law enforcement officer and I've worked in EU uh, border assistance missions and with Italian colleagues. Uh, my question is about the readiness and willingness and general capability of the Central European institutions to deal with the crisis. Um, was, as far as you know, did um, the Commission undertake any contingency planning about replacing or updating the Dublin regulation, which you so strongly and accurately describe as now seriously outdated? Thank you. Okay, we'll get straight to well, Sorry, did, did they do that um, in the last few years? Okay, you want to take that one now? Okay, you okay we'll take uh, this lady out. Keep faith with the lady in the colourful scarf. Yes, please. Uh, I'm Lamia, a Turkish journalist. Um, last week, European Union um, asked Turkey to be involved in the resolution of the European migra- migrant crisis. I wanted to ask to what extent Turkey can help Europe to solve its migrant crisis, and do you think that European Union can trust Erdogan, especially in this timeline when they, when Turkey is it itself is involved in its domestic political crisis? Buonasera, Mr. Fano, grazie per essere qui. My name is Eduardo. I study uh, political economy at King's College London. My question was um, regarding to the recent news about the. Um, United government in Libya, which seems uh, they have reached an agreement. How do you think Europe could uh, take advantage advantage of that in relation to the migration crisis? Thank you. Uh, general thing: when you speak, when you hand them the roving mic, make sure you hold the microphone as closely as possible to your mouth as possible. It does make a big difference for your audibility. Thank you. Okay, the first question. Uh, Il regolamento di Dublino fu concepito molti, molti anni fa per rispondere ad un abuso, l'abuso del diritto di asilo. Fu eh, concepito in un altro tempo della storia per un altro obiettivo con un'altra geopolitica internazionale. The Dublin Regulation was conceived many, many years ago to respond to the abuse of the right of asylum. Now time has changed and we need another resolution. Thank you. Okay. È, è figlio di un altro tempo della storia. Oggi è 
obsoleto e inadeguato perché oggi il problema che ha l'Europa è di consolidare la costruzione europea attraverso un, una cittadinanza europea e un diritto di asilo europeo. Um, the Dublin regulation was conceived in another time and now it is obsolete and inadequate. Europe needs to, um, to build upon its roots and build a, a new citizenship, a European citizenship and the right of asylum. Giovedì ci sarà un vertice dei capi di Stato e di Governo ed io spero che già in quella sede tante parole belle che sono state dette riguardo il superamento di Dublino possano essere realizzate. Next Thursday the heads of state and government will meet and I hope that the many nice words that were said by these people before will overcome the Dublin regulation. Ma vorrei sottolineare un successo che è anche un dato di fatto molto concreto. But I would also like to underline uh, some good results that, is, that are really concrete results. Lo scorso venerdì 20.000 migranti eritrei sono stati ricollocati in Svezia, provenienti dall'Italia, come ho detto nel mio intervento. 20, 20, non 20.000, adesso su 20.000 di Roma. Last Friday, as I said in my uh, presentation, 20 Eritrean uh, migrants were relocated to Sweden. Questi 20 migranti avranno un seguito perché saranno 40.000, 40.000 in due anni i migranti che partiranno dall'Italia aventi come destinazione altri paesi europei che li accoglieranno. They will be followed by other 40.000 migrants that in two years will leave Italy to be relocated in other European countries. E già questa settimana altre centinaia di migranti partiranno dai centri italiani in direzione di altri paesi europei. And already this week other 100.000 migrants will leave the Italian centers for migrants to, uh, to head to other European countries. So, ciascuno di questi migranti che è partito rappresenta un, bu un buco nel muro di Dublino, che è il muro che circonda i paesi di primo ingresso secondo questo regolamento. So, each of these migrants represents a sort of breakthrough in the wall that was built upon the Dublin regulation and it is a wall that surrounds the European countries. Okay, la domanda sulla Turchia, the question on Turkish. La Turchia eh, può svolgere un ruolo importantissimo nella cooperazione internazionale sui temi della migrazione un ruolo importantissimo io stesso sono testimone di questo Turkey now the question about Turkey um, 
Turkey can have can play a very important role in the cooperation in the field of migration. And I can personally witness this. All'inizio di questo anno 2015 si è verificato un fatto molto strano nel, nella, uh, nei flussi migratori e cioè abbiamo cominciato a osservare che nuove rotte venivano battute dai trafficanti di esseri umani. At uh, the beginning of this year um, a very strange uh, fact happened. We noticed that there were uh, new migration routes opening up to Europe. Si verificava un fenomeno gravissimo e terribile. It was a very serious and terrible um, phenomenon. Delle grandi imbarcazioni, not little vessels, but big ships, venivano dalla Turchia verso una bellissima regione del sud-est dell'Italia, chiamata Puglia. Large, very large ships were leaving from Turkey towards and, and towards a very beautiful region of southeastern Italy. It is called Apulia. Durante il tragitto, i trafficanti di esseri umani abbandonavano l'imbarcazione e lasciavano l'imbarcazione a circa 6-8 nodi di velocità alla deriva, alla deriva, cioè senza alcun pilota, con la rotta tracciata verso le coste italiane con un rischio enorme per i migranti e un rischio enorme per la, na la navigazione e per la sicurezza. Uh, during navigation, uh, the um, traffickers left the ship, abandoned the ship, and they left it at a speed of six, eight knots. And the um, people on board were left alone on the ships And there was a high risk for these migrants and also for security. In qualche caso, le nostre agenzie di intelligence e di sicurezza segnalavano delle presenze nei porti della Turchia di imbarcazioni pronte a partire e non escludevano la presenza di eh, soggetti eh, non identificati come migranti, ma che potevano anche rappresentare un pericolo per la sicurezza. Quindi non erano considerati alcuni, c'era il rischio che non fossero esattamente dei migranti economici o dei richiedenti asilo. In some cases our intelligence pointed out that some ships were ready to leave the Turkish ports and the people that they were loading on board um, They, they were not exactly migrants, no, no, not economic migrants, nor uh, asylum seekers. So there was a risk that this could, these people could be um, a, a risk for our security. Ok, allora sono andato in Turchia a trovare il mio collega turco, al quale ho fatto presente questo rischio. Ho fatto presente che... Eh, una cooperazione con la Turchia avrebbe dato maggiore sicurezza 
a quella zona del mondo che unisce esattamente la Turchia e l'Italia? So I traveled immediately to Turkey to meet with my Turkish colleague and I told them that we needed cooperation from Turkey because this area of the world that goes from Turkey to Italy, this specific area of the world, needed their help to ensure security for all of us. Bene. Dopo pochi giorni, grazie a un deciso e forte intervento del governo turco, quel fenomeno è scomparso. Because of their decisive response, that phenomenon was stemmed out. La cooperazione non è una astrazione filosofica. La, la cooperazione è il modo più concreto per risolvere i problemi tra gli stati. Cooperation is not philosophical uh, talking. It's the most concrete way of solving um, issues between states. Adesso la domanda sulla Libia dello studente italiano. E la Libia è il simbolo mondiale di un lavoro incompleto. Now, the question on Libya. Libia is the world symbol of an uncompleted work, an uncompleted job. Di una missione non completata. A mission that was never completed. L'Italia ha pagato due volte il conto alla comunità internazionale. Italy paid twice for this to the international community. La prima volta il conto della azione della comunità internazionale quando la comunità internazionale ha deciso di mandare via Gheddafi, sul quale ovviamente non esprimo un giudizio di valore. The first time when Italy was called upon to take action within the international community against Gheddafi and I'm not expressing my judgment on Gheddafi. E la seconda volta ha pagato il, com- il conto alla inerzia della comunità internazionale, alla incapacità della comunità internazionale di completare il lavoro. And the second time Italy paid because the international community was incapable of completing the job. E questo conto non è un conto piccolo, è un conto grande. And it is a huge um, result, a huge uh, outcome that, that we are paying for. Significa 170.000 arrivi in Italia dal Mediterraneo centrale, la gran parte partiti dalla Libia nel corso del 2014. The result was 170.000 migrants arriving on Italian coast, on Italian shores, from the central Mediterranean in the year 2014. E in questo anno, oltre 100.000, oltre 100.000 migranti, anch'essi partiti per oltre il 90% dalla Libia. And this year, the current year, over 100.000 Migrants left the Libyan shores, and that is 90% of them. Ma ci sono altre due voci di questo conto. But there are other two items. 
La prima voce sono i morti. Quante persone sono morte attraversando il Mediterraneo? The first one is the dead people. How many people died trying to cross the Mediterranean? E l'altro conto è il criminal gains e lo sporco guadagno, lo sporco fatturato dei trafficanti di esseri umani. And the other one is the criminal gain, the dirty profits of people smugglers. Che è esattamente il punto da cui dobbiamo cominciare come comunità internazionale l'aggressione ai trafficanti di esseri umani. And that is where we should act, actually. We should attack people smugglers. Perché una domanda deve inquietare, deve mettere inquietudine a tutti i governi democratici del mondo. E cioè, come vengono reimpiegati dai trafficanti di esseri umani questi loro profitti criminali? Dove finiscono quei soldi? Because there is a disquieting question in our mind. How do these traffickers use up their dirty money, the dirty profits they make by smuggling human beings? E c'è la questione collegata a questo, ovviamente, dell'Islamic State. And linked to this, there is the big issue of the Islamic State. E la comunità internazionale deve essere consapevole, e francamente lo è perché ha cominciato a lavorare su questo, che l'aggressione a questo patrimonio criminale è la leva più efficace per contrastare le folli e megalomani ambizioni di un uomo che si è autoproclamato califfo e ha preteso di chiamare Stato la propria organizzazione terroristica. The international community should be aware of this and it is aware in fact it has already started to work in this direction because we should use our leverage to stop these foolish plans of a person that called himself a caliph and is thinking of building an Islamic state thank you very much we've got just a few minutes left so I'm going to uh... Um, ask you to be even sweeter and briefer than, than before. Uh, the lady there, yes, in a sort of in a sort of purple sort of scarf, yes. Then, and yeah. I'll do Hello, my, my name is Anya. I'm studying transnational law at King's. Um, I wanted to ask if um, Minister doesn't think that maybe through readmitting asylum applications through embassies, on one hand, there could be there could be a resolution to the fact that. Um, to the trafficking and to the deaths in the Mediterranean and on the other hand also to the unbalance in the EU states as people could apply directly to the countries they want to go through and don't have to come through Italy and Greece. Thank you. You, you said through Amnesty International? Did I hear correctly? No, 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 no. Um, oh, the uh, because we, we can... Applying, yeah, sorry. Applying in the embassies. Ah, in the embassies. Abroad. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. And, um, uh, um, yes, you've battered me to surrender. I'll reward you for your tenacity. The gentleman there, um, yes, with your arm up now. That may have to be it, but uh, 
We'll see. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Arfano, for your talk. My name is Ricardo. I'm a second-year War Studies student at King's College London. Uh, you've mentioned that democracy has always been victorious, mainly because of freedom against terrorism. But I just wanted to point out, actually, democracies most of the times have lost against terrorism. But I'd like to move on to my questions. Uh, uh, you've mentioned that you value freedom as the, uh, the main tool and the main means to uh, fight against and win against terrorism. But it sounds to me much more like a policy and much of a strategy, hence my question. What is or should be Italy's strategy to win against terrorism? I just think it's important not to confuse policy with strategy, just like we shouldn't confuse um, migrants, uh, sorry, refugees with migrants. Thank you. Good, thank you very much. Minister, when you're ready. Riguardo le domande di asilo presso l'ambasciata. Now I answer the question about presenting, submitting applications at the embassies. Eh, noi, noi che governiamo siamo sempre chiamati a distinguere il mondo quale è da quello che noi vorremmo che fosse e impegnarci a costruire il mondo come vorremmo che fosse. The people like me who govern, who are in the government, um, always called upon to distinguish between the world we would like to be and the world that it is actually uh, the, the real world and what we have to do to build the world we believe in. Nel migliore dei mondi possibili la sua soluzione è perfetta e noi lavoriamo per arrivare a quel mondo. In the best possible world, the solution he suggested is perfect and we are working in that direction. Nel mondo di oggi, chi scappa, scappa da paesi dove non esistono le ambasciate, non esistono i diritti, esistono le guerre, esistono le bombe. In today's world, the people that are seeking for asylum are actually fleeing uh, conflicts, they are fleeing persecution, and there are no rights, there are only bombs. Il mio, il mio sogno è costruire una eh, politica di asilo comune in Europa che permetta all'Europa di avere un diritto comune al proprio interno, regole comuni, in modo tale che tutti i sì, i sì e tutti i no siano supportati dalla stessa regola. My dream is that uh, in Europe we have a, a common EU policy for asylum, the same type of rights, and when we say yes to an applicant, it will be yes from all the other countries in Europe. A riguardo la strategia italiana e l'altra domanda, sulla politica del Mediterraneo e sulla strategia contro il terrorismo. Now, uh, about the question on the strategy and policy in the Mediterranean. Nel Mediterraneo, sul tema della migrazione, noi sosteniamo una strategia fondata su quattro pilastri, four pillars. Uh, in the Mediterranean, Italy is supporting um, a policy, a strategy based upon four pillars. Lotta ai trafficanti di esseri umani, 
per impedire loro di fatturare, di guadagnare sulla disperazione degli uomini. The first one is the fight against uh, human smugglers to, uh, to stop them from making profits on the desperation of these people. Secondo, hotspot, come luoghi da, in, da organizzare nei punti di crisi per separare i richiedenti asilo, i meritevoli di protezione umanitaria, da i migranti irregolari, illegali. And then hotspots, which are the places where there are, there are major uh, migration crises, and these are the places where we should separate the asylum seekers, the, the genuine asylum seekers, from economic migrants. Terzo, la relocation. The third one is relocation. E il modo più efficace per superare il regolamento di Dublino è per mostrare che l'Europa è solidale e non carica solo sui paesi di primo ingresso il peso delle migrazioni. And then um, relocation, uh, which is the most effective way to show that we are overcoming the Dublin regulation and that we are uh, a Europe based on solidarity. Quarto, i rimpatri. The, the fourth one is returns, repatriations. I rimpatri sono un punto essenziale, un punto cruciale di tutta la strategia, perché bisogna accogliere chi ha il diritto alla protezione umanitaria e uh, rimpatriare coloro i quali entrano illegalmente, irregolarmente nel territorio europeo. Returns are a key factor in our strategy because while we uh, want to welcome and receive with welcoming the people who have right to asylum, we need to return the illegal migrants. E non è questo non perché vi è egoismo nei confronti di chi non scappa dalla guerra ma cerca un futuro migliore. No, non è egoismo, è realismo, perché l'Europa di oggi non è in grado di accogliere tutti. Um, this is not an egotistic stance, uh, because I would call it realism. Nowadays Europe is not able to welcome everybody. Anzi, se non ci sarà una seria distinzione tra i bisognosi di protezione umanitaria e i migranti irregolari, avranno la meglio le forze populiste che insemineranno l'Europa di odio razziale con un rischio di xenofobia. And I tell you more, on top of that, if we do not make a clear-cut distinction between irregular migrants, illegal migrants, and asylum seekers, populist movements will surge and they will spread the seed of hatred and racism, building a new xenophobia wave. Mi chiedeva anche del terrorismo internazionale, se il professor Fraser mi permette rispondo anche Please, su quello. The last word should be with you anyway as our esteemed guest okay. and then I will have to draw things to a close quite speedily. Okay. The last 
the last question on international terrorism. Non esiste solo una risposta in termini di sicurezza. There is not uh, only one answer, one response to, uh, in terms of security. La risposta di sicurezza la sta offrendo una comunità internazionale che dalla caduta delle torri gemelle si è coalizzata per contrastare il terrore, per sconfiggere il terrorismo. Uh, there is a, a, a security response, a response to the need for security that was given by the international community when, uh, on the occasion of the 9-11 tragedy. Quel che sto per dire eh, forse meriterebbe una lunga, lunga discussione, ma non credo che sia questo il contesto e quindi mi limiterò ad alcune osservazioni. I will only make a few uh, comments because then it would start a long debate. La risposta deve essere anche culturale e la prima risposta è separare chiaramente chi prega da chi spara. We must give a cultural response. We should make a clear cut distinction between the people who are religious, meaning the people who pray, from the people who use guns. Viene nel mondo oltre un miliardo di musulmani. Ed è gente che ama pregare il proprio Dio. In the world we have Uh, over 1 billion Muslims and mostly there are people who love to pray their God. Noi dobbiamo avere la forza in Europa di discutere, di dialogare con tutti coloro i quali professano una fede religiosa pregando il proprio Dio. And in Europe we must have the strength to build a dialogue with the people that only want to pray their own God. E spiegare, spiegare, spiegare ancora che vi è un diritto di culto che le nostre costituzioni ri riconoscono come un diritto naturale. And we should explain and explain and explain to everybody that our constitutions envisages the, right, the, the freedom of religion. E che chi uccide nel nome di Dio tiene prigioniero, tiene, tiene ostaggio quel Dio, che è un pretesto per uccidere. And those who kill in the name of God, they hold hostage their own God, because that is only a pretext to kill people. Ma vi è una grande, enorme questione culturale che riguarda tutti i grandi paesi, tutti i paesi europei, e a maggior ragione i grandi paesi europei. But there is a a huge cultural issue that affects most of the largest and greatest countries in Europe. Ed è una domanda che eh, non mi dà la possibilità di dare una risposta adesso perché la risposta sarebbe molto molto lunga. And the question uh, implies a very long answer and I do not have the time to, to deal with it now. Cosa spinge migliaia di ragazzi come noi, come voi, che sono nati in Europa, si sono formati culturalmente in Europa ad accettare la folle chiamata del Califfo per andare a combattere in Siria 
o nei territori del cosiddetto Islamic State. Cosa li spinge? Qual è il vuoto culturale che i paesi europei hanno lasciato da indurre, tale da indurre, migliaia di ragazzi europei, perché sono magari migranti di terza generazione, a lasciare i nostri paesi e ad andare a combattere chiamati dal califfo, magari attraverso un reclutamento via web. Cosa li ha spinti? Quale vuoto culturale? Oppure quale domanda l'Europa non ha saputo affrontare e a cui non ha saputo dare risposta? So the question is, what is, what actually is that pushes thousands of people, of young people born in Europe, who studied in Europe, educated in Europe, to respond to the foolish call of a caliph to join the foreign fighters? What is the void that the European countries have created to make these people, these young people, um, respond to this call and become foreign fighters and be recruited maybe on the web? La, la loro decisione di andare a combattere è la storia di un grande rifiuto. Their decision to become foreign fighters is the history of a very strong rejection. Il rifiuto dell'Europa, il rifiuto del paese nel quale sono nati e nel quale sono stati formati, il rifiuto dei valori occidentali, il rifiuto dei valori democratici. Interroghiamoci su questo rifiuto. Their rejection is the rejection to Europe, rejection to the country where they were born, rejection to the Western values, the rejection to the democratic values. And we should wonder why they have embraced this rejection. Well, thank you. Truly. <laughs> Well, Minister, as you can see, you gave us a, a really magnificent springboard into a very, very meaty um, and serious discussion which could have detained us for many, many more hours. It really is, I think, testimony to the magnificent uh, 60, 70-odd minutes you've given us. Uh, your answers have been very full. They've been very thoughtful. And your, as I said at the beginning, your call to arms was a, was a spirited one, to be sure. You were very much um, so um, we are... A privilege to have you come and speak to us today. Just before we record, I'm sure, even more fulsomely perhaps, our appreciation to Minister Alfano. Alfano, can I just ask you all please to remain seated until um, the Minister and his delegation have left, have left the room, uh, which will be shortly. But uh, once again, Minister Alfano, thank you for uh, really honouring the LSE with some, a really magnificent hour and ten minutes of thoughts. It was an honour for me and thank you to you. Thank you. Thank you.